Well, it's always an exciting time to be able to spend a little bit of time with families and to be able to see them as they're growing up and uh, had several of these in impact groups with us along the way and uh, just a neat opportunity to be able to see what God's doing here. And uh, man, we've got a job to do. And our job every day when we wake, wake up is to make much of Jesus Christ and to see all too often we get confused on it. And we wake up and we're like, I have a job to do. And then we have a list of like 19 things that are all about me, right? And, uh, but that's not what it's about. Lord, when I wake up, may I grasp that it's all about you and your glory. As I'm going throughout the day, may I grasp it is all about you and your glory. Lord, may I grasp a glimpse of who you are. And uh, we're walking through this series called Glimpse of the Messiah. And uh, as we're walking through the glimpse of the Messiah, we're learning a little bit more about Jesus Christ. We're going into the book of Hebrews, just grabbing a phrase there as the author of Hebrews grabbed different Psalms and decided to use those through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach us a little bit about who Jesus Christ the Messiah is and would be. And uh, huge deal for us to grasp. Today, we're looking at a glimpse of him as the humbled king in Psalm chapter 8. So why don't you turn with me there, the humbled king, Psalm chapter 8. Humbled king. And um, this comes from Hebrews chapter 2. I'll just start reading here in verse 5. It says, you don't have to turn there, just listen. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man? that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And uh, speaking here of Jesus Christ and, and the work that Christ did in humbling himself and becoming a man. And we're going to see these verses quoted out and catch it in context here as we move through it. So let's jump over to Hebrews chapter, or I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And uh, like I said, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ as the humble king. Uh, over the past weeks, we've looked at him as the son of God, uh, the Messiah. He'll be the son of God. We saw him as the groom with this church as the bride. We saw him as the creator of everything. Uh, author of all. We saw him as the enthroned priest. Enthroned, yes, king, but also our priest. And now today we're seeing him as the humble king. These are the things that he was uh, delivering up about who Jesus Christ would be just in the first chapter and a half of Hebrews. It is such a rich book about who Jesus Christ is. And I love diving into these Psalms and grasping the whole context of what he was pulling out there. And so as we look today at the humble king, watch two sides of the story unfold here, and uh, you'll be amazed at the perspective that comes out. So how should we respond to this humble king? Uh, first, uh, worship our God who is greater than all. Worship our God who is greater than all. It's a simple call to call to worship. May we celebrate him and make much of him, just like we were talking about with the families this morning here. And are you willing to worship your God every day in your home? And uh, yes, a call to worship God and recognize that he is greater than all. All right, here we go. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. O Lord, our Lord. He actually starts out, O Lord, and note, it's all capitalized, right? You've heard me say this a lot here. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. If it's all in caps, that's telling you something. That's meaning that the original language word in the Hebrew, he used the word Yahweh, the personal name of God. He's like, O personal one, O one who is eternal, from eternity past to eternity future, right? Yahweh, it means I am. He is not dependent upon anyone for his existence, Yahweh. He is from eternity past to eternity future unto himself. Unnecessary that anyone else exists. That's not like you and me. Everybody say, that's not like me. That's not like me and you. Man, we need God Almighty. We need him to do things in our lives or we are nothing. We don't exist anymore. That's not true for him. And uh, he's like, oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord. Notice then he goes one step further. Our Lord. You hearing it? Oh, Lord, capital L, capital O. Now he goes, our Lord. Look at it, capital L, little O-R-D. He's like, just so you know, I recognize your grandeur and I'm placing you in charge in my life. Our king, ruler, head, that's what that means. Our Lord, the one who's in charge of me. And uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that we are saved if we believe that he is risen from the dead and if we confess him as Lord, right? If we confess him as Lord, Savior of our lives, in charge, David is like, oh Lord, our Lord. These are the ones who trust Christ as Savior and they're crying out, you are Yahweh, the personal one. You are my ruler. You are my king. You are in charge of me. You have say over my life. And uh, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How majestic is your name in all the earth? Majestic, like how glorious, how grand, how unbelievably beautiful, how high is your name. There is no one like you, unparalleled. That's what he's talking about. How majestic is your name. And there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, and uh, may we grasp and understand his greatness and how majestic is your name, is your name. It's not some magic word, right? It's not like you say the word and because those syllables were formed, all of a sudden something magical happens around you. It doesn't mean that. And uh, what it means instead is when he says your name, he means everything about you. In Hebrew, your name was your character. It was how you lived. It was what you lived for. It was your value system on display. When he says, how majestic is your name? He's like, just so you know, God, your character is so obvious. And I so can grasp who you are. And it is above anything else I know. You are awesome. How majestic is your name, your character, who you are in my life, 
how majestic is your name, the revealed character of God, his fingerprint in this world. Think about it for a second. What have you seen him do in your world? Your specific world. What have you seen God do? And make sure you think of at least one thing. Don't read through these Psalms and let it be some other guy's testimony and not your own, right? Like, Lord, how can this become mine? And make sure you grasp what God is doing in your life. You might be going through one of the lowest of lows, but you're finding him there. You might be going through one of the highest of highs. Make sure you find him there. It's easy to lose him in the celebration. And I'd be careful with that one. And uh, tread lightly on this where you don't lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. How majestic is your name in all the earth? How majestic is your name in all the earth? Yeah, I don't know, Tim. He hasn't been really great in my life. No, no, actually he has, Scripture says, in all the earth, in your life, in your current condition, absolutely yes, something great going on. I'm not seeing it, then it's time to be saying, Lord, show me your greatness. Lord, reveal to me what you're doing, because I'm missing it, and I apologize for that, and I'm ready to see it. Lord, show me you, right? And uh, how majestic is your name in all the earth? In how much of the earth? In all the earth. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it talks about being able to look into creation and seeing the greatness of your God and being, ready, without excuse. Man, if we are not looking into creation and seeing the depths of the intricacies and the perfection of our God, we're missing it. We're missing it. Lord, open my eyes. I'm ready to see. In every little detail, in every little nuance, in all the unbelievable nature of creation itself, may we be able to grasp God and his majesty. It says, you have set your glory above the heavens. You have set your glory above the heavens. In fact, just so you know, in the original language here, it doesn't quite say that. It actually is in the command form. And so instead of you have set, it says, set your glory above the heavens. And it's not like all of a sudden the psalmist has lost track of who's in charge, right? He's like, I'm going to give God a few commands here. Everybody say, it's not that. It's not that he's lost his nut and he can't think straight and he's bossing God around. No, he's saying, you deserve this. Please do this. Set your glory above all the heavens. I'm ready to see my Lord above everything. And as he's giving it in the command form, he's like, I partner with you. What do you want done? Set your glory above the heavens. Man, we hear that word glory a lot. And uh, what is God's glory? Really think of an answer for that. Like, what would you say? Take a second. Define God's glory for yourself. Really think about it. See, it's easy to use the church words, and then we get into church ease, and we don't even know what we're talking about, right? And so what does it mean that God's glory would be set above the heavens? And uh, well, you've heard me say this before. This is a good quote. comes from James McDonald. Glory, as wet is to water, 
As heat is to fire, so glory is to God. Right? As wet is to water, as heat is to fire, so glory is to God. This is an innate part of God himself. This is, yes, seen in his perfection, and it's seen in his love, and it's seen in his grandeur. It's seen in his power. It's seen in the fact that he is present everywhere. He can do anything. He knows everything. It is every facet of God brought down into one word. That's why it's so hard to define, right? And, but God's glory, it means no matter who sets their eye on him, he is stunning, he doesn't look very stunning to me. Um, your eye isn't on him. Your eye is on something else. And God's glory, it is the core of who he is. It is the essence of who he is revealed out into this world. We see it in every little nuance. We see it in the creation. We see it in our lives. We see it in his provision and protection. We see it in the peace that comes in the midst of a storm. We even see it in the storm, as hard as that can be. If we're looking for our God, his glory is unbelievably able to be witnessed. And uh, you have set your glory above the heavens, literally Lord, set it above the heavens. Make sure it stays there. What you deserve, God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God deserves your ultimate worship, his glory set up, not your glory set up? Do you believe that? Or do you live life going, hey, God, that was supposed to be a little more comfortable. Uh, God, that was supposed to be a little bit more about me, please. Right? Right? where we get a little hung up on, make it all about me. And uh, may your glory be set up, God, above the heavens. You get it all, whatever I'm in. Are you there? Whatever, God, I'm in. And uh, notice he says, out of the mouth of babes and infants. And uh, we've just seen a few babes and infants here this morning, right? And... Uh, not the most powerful creatures in the universe, right? And uh, it's pretty easy to dominate over a babe or an infant, right? But notice what he says. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength. What? How in the world is God establishing strength through the mouths of weakling? How is that? And uh, answer in one word, praise. As the babes and infants, as he's saying, these little ones in him, as they create, as they're being created, and then they cry out as creation, his greatness, through the praise of him, through the modeling of his grandeur, God is put on display, and strength is given to his testimony. Their simple words are not words of their authority, they're words of his greatness. It is all out praise. Hear me. There is power in praise. And all of God's people said, man, there is power in praise. It is easy for us to get distracted in pain. It is easy for us to get distracted in brokenness. There isn't a lot of power in being an expert on what's wrong, right? There is a ton of power in being able to see the greatness of your God and speak that forth. Out of the mouths of babes 
and infants. We see his strength established. It says, because of your foes. Know this, God loves to do this. He loves to take weak and put strong in it. That's one of God's plans. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he calls us jars of clay. Like, in other words, made, formed, right, out of clay. If you drop it, it just shatters into a million pieces. Fragile. That's us. That's you and me. He calls us jars of clay. And in those jars of clay, he puts the light of the world. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, rocking this world. And as things are shared through you, as you praise him in the midst of the direst circumstances, hear me, God's greatness is on display. And he is strong and mighty in this fragile, broken world. Man, our praise in the midst of our brokenness actually celebrates his awesomeness. And, uh, you know, I've used this example before, but uh, D.L. Moody uh, was a great evangelist, turn of the century, back 1800s into 1900s. And, and uh, somebody came up to him and said, I know that God is working in you. You know how I know? And the guy said, no, I really don't. Dale Moody answered back to him, I really don't. The guy says to him, uh, your preaching isn't that good. And all these people are rocked. It must be God. And all of God's people said, amen, man. You know it. And uh, yes, I am a jar of clay was his answer back. And I speak of the light of the world. And uh, God moves in this world. He loves to work in the fragile Man, if you are finding yourself fragile, know this. You are a key candidate for God to be doing much in your life. And what a great privilege. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. To still, literally meaning to quiet, to stop them in their tracks, to shut it down, to cause to cease. God's enemies are ceased by praise and by celebrating him and by making much of him. It may not be ceased in the way you might want to see it sometimes, but God knows what he's doing. Let God work, right? And we trust in him in the midst. It says, when I look at your heavens, whose heavens? Your heavens. He owns it. When I look at your heavens, you spoke it into existence. It exists because of you. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers and uh, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, are you hearing it? When I look at your creation and God speaks and this world exists. Notice it says the moon and stars set in place. That means there was a designed place, a purpose exactly where it should be, exactly far enough away, exactly close enough to, exactly in rotation around, God knowing exactly what he's doing. Everybody just say he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, man. He is awesome and he is amazing and he is creator. And uh, he's like, when I take a look at your heavens, the glory is just stunning on who this God is. 
Man, we are called to worship. We're going to hold on the second half of that verse, which is a great response piece to the second point, okay? So let's just grab onto this. Uh, what does it mean to worship? What does it mean to worship? And to think about it, what would you say? If somebody were to say you need to worship, you would say that means, how would you answer? Really get a real answer here. Wrestle with it. It's good we come away not with just statements we heard, but statements we're convicted about and we're standing on, right? And uh, worship. I just wrote these words down. Three parts to worship. We talked about this a lot in the series that we launched from January to March. Three parts to worship. And so the first part is encounter. So I just want to write these three points down. Encounter. The second one is exalt. And the third one is engage. Encounter, exalt, and then engage. Let's define these a little bit. Encounter. Uh, This is where we learn of him. This is where we get dropped with our jaw. Our jaw just falls. We are in awe. It's where we're taking time in his word. It's where we're taking time in this world. We are observing what God is and is doing. We are encountering him. We're encountering him through creation. We're encountering him in his word. Lord, show me who you are. Words I wrote next to encounter. Awe. Honor. Learning. Humbling. And if you're learning and you're not being humbled, you're not looking close enough. And uh, God is amazing in who he is. May we grasp that and understand how much above us he is. Encounter. It's the first step, but it's not the only step in worship. Uh, The next step, exalt. And uh, this word exalt, this is where most of us fall down. I'm just going to tell you, in central Illinois, with the main movement being some kind of knowing what to do and going and doing it, we jump from knowledge to action, and we skip right past this word exalt. We stop with the lifting up of his name. We stop with the praising of him. I wrote these words down for exalt. Uh, thankfulness, dependence, confession. Thankfulness and dependence and confession. Man, these are the things we go after. We talked about as being still and beholding and being filled, right? Those were the words we used there. And make sure we spend some time doing that. Do not read your word, close it and go, well, here we go. And go off to do life that day. And uh, without some time exalting him, the worship will be wobbly at best. May we take some time to really almost write our own psalm. God, this is why you're awesome. This is what I see in you. This is what is stunning. And uh, exalt. I'm telling you, you're going to find that in your posture here, it'll drive everything. And uh, Do not spend time in the word without time exalting. And uh, you can exalt best as you're thanking him. You'll find your hands raised. You'll find dependence as you're starting to fall. You'll find yourself on your face in full-out confession. Lord, please forgive me. Man, if you're asking for forgiveness once a month, whether it needs it or not, you need to up the ante on that a little bit, right? And uh, may we keep a short list with our God as we're coming before him saying, God, please forgive me. It doesn't take but 20 seconds and we've gone off on self. 
Make sure you're getting before your God and you're seeing his greatness. Hear me, most of the time we're moved to confession because we want self to be awesome. And so we're trying to get it cleaned up. Did you hear all the me in that? Be careful that your confession isn't just all about you trying to look good or be good. Make sure confession is about him being good and me before him humble because of how great he is. And all of God's people said, and I'm telling you, that's huge confession. Because of who you are, Lord, please forgive me. It drives us to an amazing worship, even in confession. It is life-changing as we walk that way. And encounter, exalt, and then engage. The word I just wrote next to it is willingness. We're going to read things in God's word where he calls us to action, and we're willing to step out. True worship will be thankful will be appreciative and dependent and will step out in willingness to go after. They will encounter with all they've got, they will exalt with all they've got, and they will engage with all they've got. Please keep it up, man. Keep going after these three E's in your worship experience. Make sure that you are three E-ing with your God, not just one E-ing with your God. And I'm telling you, each of us is built differently and some of us loves to get into work and action and we're like, I love worshiping God and we speak of the engaging part. And others are like, I am so about information and I love knowledge and I love the encounter part. And some are so expressive and experiential and relational, I love the exalt part, but we tend to blow off the other parts and we just be the one facet. And everybody say that's a bad plan. That's a bad plan. Let's round it out. Encounter, exalt, engage. 3E, worship with your God. Are you in? With making much of him, all of him, with all of you. You know, this uh, past weekend was um, the St. Jude run. And uh, there was a, a lot of people getting together to run, trying to rally some money together and be able to get some support that ministry that takes place there and taking care of kids who are struggling with cancers and various struggles there. Just a, a huge ministry they do. And for all the people that were rallying together and running and there were people along the roads cheering and, and there was a lot of commitment to what was going on and a huge deal to be a part of it. And uh, we had a little talk with someone right before um, all this was coming down and, and uh, just a little chat and the statement came out, I've learned to fix my eyes on Jesus in the midst of struggle. And uh, fixing your eyes in the midst of struggle, there's no stronger worship. It is in that moment that you can say, make it all about me, God. And to keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your good faith will rock your world. He works through weakness and he shows off his greatness. His majesty is stunning. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name even in my I will worship you. And I don't know what you're going through today and where you're at, but here's my question. Are you ready to make it a full-on 3E worship no matter what's going on because of the greatness of your God? 
Lord, reveal to me what I'm missing. You're great. Are you ready? Man, what an awesome call we have. Worship him with all you got. Encounter, exalt, engage. And don't lose sight of your king in the midst. All right? Point number two, grasp. Grasp the heights of mankind in creation and yet the smallness of man before God. That is the position Jesus humbly stepped into. Grasp the heights of mankind in creation and yet the smallness of man before God. That's the position Jesus humbly stepped into. Jesus becoming man, humbling himself. And uh, notice, we'll start and get a running leap into this again. We'll start with verse three. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He's recognizing the smallness of man. And he's like, what is man? that you are mindful. Just so you know, we see man in here twice in the English, but in fact, he uses two different words. And the first time he uses a word that means frail, weak being, one who can carry little. And uh, weak, mortal, frail. That's the emphasis on humanity here. That first man that he's talking about. What is man? The weakness, the jar of clay, the smallness, the fragileness. And, uh, what is this fragile being that you are mindful of him? Why would you take any time at all with us? That's the psalmist's words. Why would you take any time at all with us? Notice he did not come to that conclusion by starting out in verses 1, 2, and the first part of 3 by saying, we are awesome. Do you see what I have accomplished? And then he turns to this and goes, what are you that you would be mindful? See, that makes much of man. And then you struggle with why he wouldn't show much attention. But he started with God Almighty. And that's where worship begins all the time. Always start with your God and the greatness of him. And in light of that, why, why, why would you ever, why would you ever take time with me? I'm constantly falling apart. I'm constantly breaking down. I'm, I'm heading for a, an end in this world. The physical is not dominated by me. I am dominated by it. It is a course of life. Why? Why would you take time with just creation, this frail humanity? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Let me ask you a question. Did you know that God is mindful of you? Built into this question is, because you are. What is man that you are mindful of him? But you are. Your God loves you. Your God designed and created and he's pouring in and he can't wait to see change happen. He loves you. And right where you stand, right in the midst of your circumstances, he is pouring it on. What does it look like? Man, let this God lavish on you. What is man that he is mindful of us? Answer in, nothing. We are nothing. And yet he chooses. Why? Because God is love. Don't ever kid yourself. He doesn't pour into us because we are all that. He pours into us because he is all that. And that's huge for us. And that is worship. 
And uh, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Now it's a different word. Now we hear the word Adam, Adam. Do you hear it? And so now he's talking about all of mankind and the, the authority given to them, and he's going to move into that realm. He's like, yes, we have a position of high authority and things that you have done, but why would you care for me still? Still down, so low. Remember, the order goes, God Almighty, and then the angels in their perfection, and then mankind, and then the rest of creation. We are up there in the pecking order, and we are down there pretty far from God, right? And we better grasp that. Otherwise, Jesus Christ clothing himself with humanity is no big deal. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, of course he would want to be like me. Um, That's a scary thought, dude. (laughs) I hope you understand how much of a step down it is when he humbled himself and became a man, Philippians chapter 2. And... uh, This is the quote that the psalmist chose to pull forward into Hebrews. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's the angels. And so you made man a little lower than the angels and you now made Jesus Christ that as well, we're told. Hebrews chapter 2, as he took on mankind and the flesh. You've been made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory. Do you hear a gear shift there? Lower, 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 up, right? And all of a sudden he's like, what is it that you are mindful? He's not just mindful, he has crowned you. Why did he crown you? Think of an answer. Always good to be thinking here. Why crown you? If your thought was, because I am awesome. You missed it. He crowned you because he is king and he adopted you as his child. And he gives you a crown for all eternity. It's all about him, not us. We are adopted in and the King Almighty is sharing with us in things we don't deserve. And uh, you have made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. He has given us glory and honor. He ends up defining that exactly. So we're just going to go on and see what he means by it. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. We have been given charge and authority over all things. Did you know that? We have been given charge over all things. Here's uh, Genesis chapter 1. Listen to this. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, mankind. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, get ready now, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over the living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in it. You shall have food for them. This is dominion we've been given. This is before the fall. We were assigned work before the fall, So just a little statement for all y'all who are thinking work is such a bummer, it's because of the curse of sin. Hear me, we were gonna be working before sin. 
And work is all about what God has designed us for, to be engaging into this world. And he gave authority over. So if you're uh, coming up and you're in a generation that thinks it's pretty cool to relax, hear me, stand up and work, man. Time to get it on. And uh, we are called to engage. Don't lose sight. We are called to worship him in the midst. Don't just work all for self. Don't lose sight of that. And other generations have lost that. Heavy, hard work, yes. And all of God's people said? Awesome worship in the midst, yes. And all of God's people said? And a good timely break of relaxation as well, yes. And uh, be careful. If you love the break more than the work, you're missing what God designed us for. And uh, yes, there is dominion and there is rule and there is work in the midst. And uh, make sure you do work hard. God does an amazing thing in us and through us as we do that. And uh, all right, it's a pretty big deal when he says, I've given you the whole world and dominion over it. That's a lot of responsibility and a lot of work. We need to grasp it. And uh, then he decides to list it. Uh, All sheep and oxen. How many of you own sheep and oxen, right? And so like very few of us are in some of these areas, but there are farmers and others that are maximized in these areas, right? And so all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, these are other animals that run wild, Uh, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and I love this one, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. I don't know what that is, but it creeps me out already. I don't, I don't know. I looked it up. Other guys are like, maybe it means this, maybe this. Maybe it's just the end, the rest of everything in the sea. Whatever it is, it's walking along, creeping along. In fact, some have the word trespass, trespassing along in their translations there and uh, passing along the paths of the sea and uh, every living creature, man. And uh, God's got something set for us to be doing and being about. May we grasp his call in our lives and go after it. Um, You ever see those bookshelves and there's bookends on either end and holding the books up so they can stand nice and straight? All the truths that he just put in here, the worship of our God and the greatness of our King and the privilege we have and the responsibility that we have and he bookends it. And he bookends it with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Bookend. Man, we serve an amazing God. And there is no one like him. In all of creation, we have never seen anything like it. He speaks and we exist. He sustains us by his presence. We serve an amazing God. And all of God's people said, so we have a call, man. A call to worship him and a call to recognize him. So let's just do this. Let's go to prayer now and let's spend a little time in worship and make much of our God.